Appamata and its programs are supported by your generosity and your generosity and support makes such a difference. You can find a link for contributions on the website at appamata.org. Thank you. So this morning for our Dharma talk, we have really special guests. Um, this is Nicole Marius, and um, her friend Adrian is here. And that Nicole is from England, London, England, and then she's been sitting with Apamana um, for during the pandemic. Yeah. So um, we wanted, and she's visiting. She's. <laughs> He hasn't moved here, <laughs> um, but we wanted to take this opportunity to get to know her more and um, and actually I wanted to do something that we used to do before the pandemic, mm -hmm. which is have everyone that's participating go around and say their name. Um, so what I'd like to do, um, I know that's a little difficult online, but maybe we could just do it kind of popcorn style. So if you like, just chime out and say your name. We'll start with everybody here and then when we go around, we'll get everybody that would like to say something online. So I'm Anne Lipscomb. I'm Nicole Lorraine. I'm Laurie Winnett. I'm Adrian McKenzie. I'm Kim Mosley. I'm Bridget Beinecke. I'm Joel Barna. Miren Carenza. I'm Paul, Paul Maldonado. I'm Thanks, Paul. <laughs> Maria, Maria Boyd, also from England. Hi. <laughs> Hi, Nicole. <laughs> I'm Becky Kane, and I'm in Vancouver, British Columbia. Darcy Schneider in Elgin, Texas, near Austin. Christian Raymond in Austin. I am Claudine Booth in Switzerland. I am Milan Sosaya in Austin. I am Brian Basic. I'm also in Austin. I'm Scott Rabbits from uh, North Carolina. <laughs> I'm Nancy Lee. I'm from uh, Dallas, Texas. So that seems like a natural ending. Thank you all very much. It's nice to hear people's names and have people make people join in. <laughs> so, um, Nicole and I spoke about how we would do this mm -hmm. and we wanted to just um, do a dialogue just have me ask some questions and certainly her too if um, to try to get to know her mm -hmm. better and hear about her practice and mm -hmm. and then have some time where we left for people that are here to also um, ask questions or give comments. Mm -hmm. So I think it's it's just now for my clock at six after 10. So I think we'll just um, play it by ear and see how things go. Sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, thank you so much for agreeing to do this. You're very welcome. And I'm just so in, I'm cool, calm, and collected, but inside there's a chimpanzee that is jumping around in excitement. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. 
Well, thank you for, I know the, the problem of sitting for 30 minutes with a chimpanzee. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. oh. So I wanted to start with something that um, we know as a way seeking mind, mm -hmm. um, which is basically how did you, how did the seed of questioning, how did the seed of Zen come to you? And then how did it grow and develop to bring you here? Um, so I remember when I was three, I'm 56 folks. I remember when I was three and I'm asking my dad um, about the meaning of life and he couldn't answer me. So I think it's sort of the, the seed of having questioning mind started really quite early. Um, and then I came to a regular sitting practice around the age of 24. I just, there was no plan. I just got up one morning and felt the desire to sit. And I remember exactly where I was in my lounge. I went into the lounge and there's a particular wall that I really like. And I just sat with actually my back to the wall and just sat upright. Um, for 20 minutes because it felt right again there was no plan and that that was it I found it very soothing mm. it's I didn't know it at the time but what I was looking for was soothing mm. so it was the mind and the body came together at that moment in time looking for soothing and when I sat I didn't realize how being silent is so grateful mm. so that's how it came about and since then um practically every day i've had a, a sitting practice and it's just been it's born from there and sometimes i sit once a day sometimes i sit twice a day and then there are times when i just stop during the day and reflect mm. so it came about through a body desire it felt like mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's yeah. how that happened yeah so it's always wonderful for me to speak with someone that's had a sitting practice for a long period of time because so many times how it starts mm -hmm. I mean what you're searching for soothing mm -hmm. um you find something hopefully you find that mm -hmm. but then other things begin to begin to accrue or you mm. you find other things or what you're searching for changes how has that happened in your practice um well what how it's happened is that i realized for me that there seems a bigger universe inside me mm. than outside of me mm. so inside what's happened is i feel like a time traveler I feel like I've been traveling all different times within me, all different universes in me. And questions is not having the answer for me, it's having the question. Mm. It's how curiosity and imagination has been born from my practice. Mm. And with the curiosity and the imagination, confidence has come. So <laughs> with sitting and allowing the, the the questions to come. I was working in an office for many years, knew that it, it didn't suit me. I'm very sensitive. So walking into an office the size of a, a, a football pitch mm. and having all of these voices and computers around me was too much. Um, but through sitting quietly, it was um, what came to me was I could train in a different field. So then I trained as a, a transpersonal psychotherapist. It's the full title is transpersonal body-centered integrative psychotherapist. It's way too long. Um, but basically that's Eastern and Western philosophies and sciences coming together as, um, <coughs> as a job. But I knew very early on that it felt like I was born to do what I do, mm. but I wasn't listening. Mm. And it was through the practice of listening did did curiosity come did answers come that i didn't know were there so i've actually changed my life with my sitting practice oh yeah so yeah yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, very powerful. Wow, so I know um, I relate to having a job or having mm. a profession that you mm. feel like, mm, this, you know, you're a little not quite right with mm. this. But I think the confidence that you're talking about growing from sitting mm. is a wonderful thing. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it's been very nourishing. Uh -huh. So that's what I get a lot of. Uh, nutritional value from it. <laughs> yeah. I love to hear from people. What do they do when they sit down? Mm -hmm. What happens? What do they do? They have a particular <coughs> practice that they go through? Mm -hmm. Or is it just um, what actually happens if you don't mind talking about that? Fine. I had that's a lovely question. I had um, a one-to-one -one with Peg a while ago, which was glorious. And um, she talked about Joe Quebec and somebody asked Joe Quebec, what happens when you sit? Mm -hmm. And Joe Quebec said, I think a lot. Mm. And it's like, you're not meant to think a lot. <laughs> and um, it starts off, my practice is, first of all, I, my sitting practice is normally in the dark. Mm. I don't have lights on. I like to really sit in the dark. And then when I sit, I fidget for a few minutes. That's getting comfortable. And um, I think for a while. <laughs> and my mind goes all over the place processing the day. So I have to, the, the phrase I use is come back mm. gently. And it's all, and, and I'm using my hand. I, Come back. So I frequently say to myself, come back. And as I come back, because um, I feel that like I'm leaping off the cushion. And when I say, when I come back, I come back to my center here. Mm. It feels like I've got some kind of um, gentle line that goes through my body mm -hmm. that is centered. And then when I come back, I'm actually centered. Mm -hmm. I might go off again, but then the phrase come back. Mm -hmm. That's what keeps bringing me back. So it's sitting in dark, fidgeting, <laughs> thinking a lot, and then bringing myself back. Mm -hmm. And if there's been a lot going on in the world, then I might do a breathing practice of breathing in the pain of the world and, and breathing out loving kindness. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it does vary. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really nice point that that what I do when I sit varies as well. It really mm. depends on the causes and conditions, the mm. situation around me. And I, I, um, I really appreciate the comeback. That's a, that's a phrase that I use mm. a lot. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. This morning I was using the phrase that I've heard the story that Dogen said or came up with when he had uh, an awakening, which was dropping away body and mind, body and mind, dropping away, which was really nice. Didn't mm. felt more like something like come back mm. than an instruction, mm. um, which I try to find something very soft, mm. very soft. Yeah. And that is it. It's, it's soft. Yeah. Yes, like you said, nourishing. Mm, very much. Yeah. How has it been, or I guess the question to start with is, have you ever sat with a group of people? Or have you always had a personal alone sitting? Um, several, I've had many different experiences. I've done, I don't know if it's from the actually Zen tradition, um, enlightenment intensive. Mm. So enlightenment intensives are you go away for about four or five days and there's a group of people and you spend time sitting and time doing yoga. But the time sitting is there are rows of you. And the time sitting is 40 minutes, then a 10 minute break. It goes on for about three hours. Then you do three hours of yoga, then three hours of sitting. Mm. And how it is you sit opposite a person and they are witnessing you 
and you could you tell them your question and they repeat your question to you but they're not you it's not a conversation they're a witness the bell goes then they give you their questions and you repeat them the question so it could be um tell me who you are so the mm. person says to me tell you who, tell me who you are and i will sit for 10 minutes and talk about that and it's really tough and when you forget they just bring you back by saying tell me who you are mm -hmm. then when it's a reverse and i say to them if they want to know the meaning of life tell me what the meaning of life is um but I'm, they're not allowed to say, oh, what you just said reminds me of this. That it's right. not a conversation. Right. So I've done that. And then at the end of each of those days, you sit and you have a, a one hour sitting. And I've, and I've been on many yoga retreats where you sit. <coughs> Excuse me. And whilst I'm in the UK and Adrian is here, we sit every week together. So we, one of us chooses a reading we read it and then we meditate on that and after we have a discussion so we do that mm. every week on whilst i'm in town we have a sitting practice on a daily basis mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so it's it's been varied really mm -hmm. and it's mm -hmm. been glorious mm. Mm. i've been thinking a lot about the question for me of taking refuge in sangha mm. because it's so expanded now mm. than with zoom um with people on a screen as well as people here and we've finally gotten back to where there are some people actually in person which is another nice new thing um but i've been wondering about what what is the difference you felt and it's a little difficult because we're not, we're kind of comparing apples and oranges with your intensive um situation and with your sitting alone and then where you're sitting with adrian i imagine on zoom yeah a zoom connection but what would you say about sangha and uh and the effect or how the sangha manifests mm. in in your life in your practice those mm. different ways um well as i'm listening to the question i'm an ambivert so i've been through periods of being very extrovert very introvert and i thought i'm a bit of all really so an ambivert introvert and extrovert and all the things in between um so for a long time, I was sitting on my own with no sangha because I was convinced I'm an introvert. It's what introverts do. <laughs> um, and then it was an extrovert. You have to go out in the world because that's what extroverts do. And then what the sitting practice has given me is a bit more of a sense of who I am at this moment in time. It might change tomorrow. Ah. So with sangha, um, even if, I, if, if I'm at work and I can't sort of zoom in, it's, it's kind of knowing that you're across the pond is so comforting because mm. even if i think right i'm about to go off and see a client now i look at my partner think they're sitting right now and that gives me a real sense of comfort mm. knowing that there are people out there which i have a connection with because it comes down to i was listening to um a, a um, a neuroscientist, Dan Siegel, he said, it's all energy, right? He said, when we speak, that's just energy going through the air, creating sound, and then you can hear me. Mm -hmm. So I don't have to be in the same room as people to have a sense of sangha. Mm -hmm. It's energy, which is really powerful for me. Mm -hmm. So I get a lot from the sangha and a lot from just people are out in the world mm -hmm. yeah that's a that's an aspect that that makes a lot of sense to me i i know i'm uh part of a group right now that has people all over the world as well as mm -hmm. Akamara does um and it's very nice to think about yeah anytime anytime i can stop and think about it there are people that are sitting silently going, come back, come mm. back. Yeah. 
very nice. Well, I know that you were very ill mm. at the at one point in mm. the pandemic and are still recovering. Mm. Um, and I wondered, um, one thing I wondered was I know that for many people, uh, one of the symptoms of COVID was difficulty breathing and thinking about our practice mm -hmm. and how important the breath is mm -hmm. to our practice and um, thinking about whether that uh, affected you mm -hmm. that way and how was the practice helpful for you? Was it um, how that intersected mm. with the practice intersected with the experience of an illness, mm. a very serious illness? I think the best way to describe it, it's been a wild ride. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll go back to just a wee bit before COVID, I was going to be sewing and joining the sewing circle. Mm. And um, Peg was wonderful sending me through instructions of how to sew. And I was being very diligent. Every Sunday I was carving out a good three hours of mm. practicing. And then I had a fall and broke my hand and smashed things. And I thought, no, I'm not sew. So that was frustrating. Then the, the, the plaster cast was taken off and then the next day I got COVID. <laughs> so it was just, I mean, I'm laughing because it's just, it was a wild ride. Um, but what I got from the practice is um, sanity. Mm. Absolute focus and sanity. Oh, I feel quite tearful with this mm. practice because I think without having had years of sitting, mm. um, without knowing that you folks were over there, and once in a while I could send you an email or send it to Peg and she'd share it and I'd get feedback, it would have been a lot scarier than what it was. Mm. And the breath was so difficult. It was really difficult. And as you can hear, my voice goes a bit croaky sometimes and that is to do the aftermath. Um, because the voice box is affected by the quality of breath. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So breathing was uh, mm. quite challenging for about uh, five weeks. Um, but I, I would set up a medical breathing practice, which I found online. I cobbled together lots of different practices and head hanging over a bowl with menthol and doing all of the stuff that um, various people had sent to me then getting my sort of routine but my sitting practice did not stop mm. every day I was sitting and I was normally sitting about three or four times a day mm. because it was so scary that the only thing that was again soothing was actually doing nothing mm -hmm. trying to be busy to distract was feeding the chaos mm -hmm. it was chaotic i don't know that in the states but it was really chaotic in the uk with uh, with people not knowing what to do so the sitting practice again it kept me centered and centered and centered and gave me a sense of safety really mm -hmm. and allowing myself just to breathe uh, the, the quality of the breath was challenging but allowing myself to breathe in and out very slowly and the word that came to me when I was breathing was just gratitude mm. gratitude that I'm still here mm. and every morning I have a saying anyway I give thanks there's a couple of sayings that I have every morning and a couple of sayings that I have every evening and every morning I start off the day with giving thanks uh, for life mm. and I was that was sort of a saying that I had with every sitting practice because I never knew what mm. was going to be next. Would you mind sharing with us what your phrases are? <coughs> it's actually from if I it's from the Dalai Lama, and I'm going to have to close my eyes because I normally close it. Mm -hmm. And it's every day as I wake up, I give thanks for my life. I give thanks for others' lives. 
I give thanks for the meaning of life. And it starts that. Mm -hmm. And that is it. And it's very powerful because I know quite a few people have died through this pandemic. So giving thanks is very humbling mm. and not taking life for granted mm. Mm -hmm. is very humbling. Yeah. It's very powerful. And then I ask to remain conscious throughout the day. Mm -hmm. And I ask that any anger that I have that comes up throughout the day um, is transformed into something else because anger I find is a wonderful energy. It can transform the world. If it's used well, there's for me there's angry determined mm -hmm. or there's angry revenge. And the latter doesn't do anything for anybody. But what was going through me when I was asking for help from the medical profession and being told no, the anger would rise. And I thought, well, it's a good energy. What are you going to do with the energy? Mm. So the energy was used to be determined to, to just exist and see what, what happened mm. with that energy. Mm -hmm. So it was breathing very slowly, sitting more often and being aware of various energies coming through my body and using them wisely. Mm. So it sounds like all your training yeah. in your in your professional life too mm. was very helpful. Yeah, you um, dovetailed with this. Yeah, because uh, when I trained, which was a long time ago now, there are many different, as you're aware, um, many different psychotherapy trainings out there, and some of them are very just pure head cognitive. And the training that appealed to me was the transpersonal and what that is based on is having getting into a healthy sense of being and then transcending that into something else which is not about you it's about life mm. and with the the training i could actually understand what was happening with the three levels of my brain i could understand like the reptilian is instinct meridian is I'm feeling really scared. And then there's the cognitive, and the cognitive goes, okay, you've got this going on, you've got this going on, you've got this going on. Slow down, trust. There's a lot of trust going on. Mm. Trust that whatever happened will be in your best interest. And if it is death, that is in your best interest. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I work with that. So uh, the training, understanding, and because it's body-centered, understanding what was going on in my body as much as I could understand my thinking and understanding my feelings, all of that brings me back to mm. centre. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Really, that's really helpful. Yeah. Really helpful. Yeah. Which is a comforting place. Yeah. The, the challenge that I still have today is not knowing. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, it's the not knowing. And I had to really sit what you don't know. So just just sit. You don't know. Just trust. And it's mm. that not catch me every time. Yeah, <laughs> I tell you. I, I'm with you there. I have a really hard time with that. This is true. And this is true. Those two holding two things that seem mm. opposed mm. at the same time. Not knowing how to do that. Mm. Wanting my my rational mind to figure that out yeah. yeah 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 so i wondered if you had ever heard the story about one of the um the teachers at san francisco zen center who died recently in the past five years um steve stuckey and he died of pancreatic cancer and um the story was told that even when he was in the last days of his life, he would wake up every morning and think of something to be grateful for, mm. you know, whatever it was, something to be grateful for. Yeah. So your, your morning ritual reminded me of, mm. of that, that uh, part of him. 
Mm. And that's brave because I happen to know a lot about pancreatic cancer. It's mm. one of the most painful cancers that a person can have. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know when we spoke on the phone a few days ago, um, you were telling me about a practice you had also when you would go to bed at night. Yes. If you don't mind sharing that, that was very beautiful. Which one? <laughs> More than one. I'm old. <laughs> you were telling me about lying down and kind of giving up. Ah, yes. Yes, during the time of being unwell, I would go, I would literally lie down, give thanks for my life and just not know whether I was going to wake up in the morning. So I would literally give give myself up to God, Buddha. I would just literally, God was in the bedroom ceiling. <laughs> so I'd look up at the ceiling and Buddha was up there and I'd be saying, kind of like, here I am, whatever happens, happens. And just handing myself over to something other was very powerful. And at the same time, as I'm saying, giving myself over to something other, of course, it's not other, it's also me. Mm-hmm. So it's it was very, very powerful. And when I talk about God, um, I still don't know whether I believe in God. I don't know whether God exists. I just I don't know. I struggle with that. But at the time, it felt like God, God felt like an energy system bigger than and Buddha feels much more grounded and solid and real for me so I can relate to Buddha on an earthly plane but God is something else so I thought right I'm going to cover all the planes (laughs) (laughs) so that's what I would do and there are times when it's been a uh, if it's been a bit of a tough COVID day then I'll do the same. And it really is just lying down and handing over. Mm-hmm. So it's a kind of big renunciation, mm-hmm. like a really big one. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well said, Anne. It yeah. really is. Yeah. It really is. And and this is going and I, I didn't mention this, but this is gonna sound I think it sounds strange. Um, since 2004, I've got up every morning, I've, I've done my practices on, I, I have rituals I've been doing for over 30 years, I get up and um, I stretch, do some yoga, have my sayings, have a bit of a sitting practice, and then I always have a freezing cold bath. Mm, really, really as cold as I can, as cold as I can get. And actually, and, and I started that practice in 2004 I remember it well um because yeah um and it's still the same shock every morning and yet that that is when I first started I thought if I can face a freezing cold bath in the morning I can face anything Mm. so even that has become a practice for me Mm -hmm. as I lie in the bath it's like just and that it takes your breath, takes my breath away first of all. But then easing into that and easing into the breath of that, it's like I can face anything. We're not talking about a shower. We're talking about a tub. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh <laughs> yeah. My gosh. So so that is that's been very um, encouraging that I can face things mm-hmm. in this morning. I remember it started off. I was working in a different industry. I thought, I don't like this industry. Get in the bath, I can face it. (laughs) (laughs) This is very, I'm gonna, I'm gonna dig down into this because I have this idea that really cold, really cold baths or rolling in the snow or whatever is, wakes you up. It's kind of like what it does to trees. We had a big freeze here last year 
and things really bloomed. If it oh. if it didn't if it didn't get them, <laughs> things really flourished wow. afterwards. And so I've developed this theory about my immune system and how it really kind of worries my immune system. She's gonna die. And so we have to really build up here. And that's my Gosh. you encourage me to go back to taking cold showers. I'm not gonna take a cold bath. <laughs> So I do go swimming here in Barton oh, wow. Springs. Have you been to Barton I've Springs? I've been to Barton Springs briefly, um, but we've we've kind of been catching up with people. But I yeah. look forward to doing Barton Springs and Deep Eddy. Yeah. Oh, I love cold. Mm, yeah. Not that cold. If it's cold outside, it feels good in the water. We have a place in, not far from me called Hampstead Heath. It's eight hundred acres of heathland, mm. and there's ponds there. And you can go, there's a women's pond, a men's pond, and a family pond. And it's really lovely because the ponds, they are ponds. You are swimming with the ducks, you are swimming with whatever is in there. And that is, that's a ritual for quite a few people. They will break the ice, whatever is going on, they will break the ice and they will swim. And it's, it's a tradition for many people to do um, a Christmas morning swim. And yeah, it's you hear lots of screeching. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the um, tradition here is called the Polar Bear Club. Oh, so people do the same. Wow. Yeah. Didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, I think I'd like to um, ask you if there's anything else you wanted to share or. I'm still, I'm still chimpanzee inside. I can't tell you how excited I am to be here. <laughs> it feels, it's just, I, it feels very surreal. So I need to put my feet on the floor. Just sitting there, I'm exhausted. I'm a couple harder. <laughs> so I will, I will settle more and I'm sure things will come, but it's, it's wonderful to be here. And thank you so much to Kim. It was just serendipity. To, to meet Kim outside and then Kim walked us around. It was glorious. Thank you, Kim. Yeah. So I wanted to kind of open it up to folks here, folks far away, if they had questions or comments. There's a wall of people. A wall of people, yeah. Yeah. There's a question here. We have Elizabeth that'd like to ask a question. Hi, my name's Elizabeth. I'm here in Austin. Um, I really appreciate how you talked about your practice because um, that's really helpful. It's, um, I didn't realize how helpful it'd be. So thanks, Anne, for asking that one. And I, I really appreciate how you talked about anger um, and that it can be a different energy. You know, often people talk about, oh, you know, don't fill those negative thoughts, just get rid of them, you know, but really, you know, maybe we should delve into them or, um, you know, meditate with them more. So my question is, um, can you talk about um, uh, the difficult times in your practice? Does anything come to mind where you, you were really challenged in your practice um, and it was actually difficult for you and you had to, you know, come to terms with it or overcome it? Oh, for sure. Um, I have a really uh, acrobatic um, constitution. <laughs> and there are times when, and it's to do with my gut, and there are times when it's so painful and I can feel the heat and the anger rise. And the last thing I want to do is sit still. I want to bounce off the walls. And that is really difficult just to be quiet because my mind will start trying to work out, mm. is it, did you do this? Because my mind will go into self-blame. Did you have something to eat? Did you do this? Did you do this? It's all your fault. And that's when I go, well, that's just monkey mind. That's just me going off with the fairies. So then I have to come out of my mind and the difficult thing is to actually come into my gut because I'm going into the place of pain. But then I think about it as, 
a child, I think if you see a child who's upset, you don't put the child in the cupboard and say, get on with it. You actually <laughs> stay with the child, say, oh, and you ask the child questions and you sit with the, the pain of the child until they're no longer in pain. And so that's what I do. I, I actually go into the pain. It takes more energy to avoid than it does to actually go in. So I go into the difficulty and just sit with it and trust, and it might go on for days, but trust that my body wants to get well, my body wants to heal, my stomach wants to get well. And when I stay with it and I breathe, mm. and I breathe very deeply and very calmly, that, that really does help with healing, but it can go on for days. So it's by, I call it sailing into the wind. Sometimes, you know, you tack, but actually sail into it. And that's when, that's when I get the most soothing by not avoiding. Mm. Go into it. Does, does that help? She's gone. No, she's there. She oh, Well, this is Adrian. I'll ask a question if I can. Yeah. Uh, we've talked about, between the two of us, the issues of the, the concepts of discipline mm. and routine. Mm. And as you know, I have problems with both of those words <laughs> from time to time. And I feel like sometimes mm. kind of a rote going through a practice can be also deadening. I can do that numb, numbly without uh, any benefit at all and then convince myself that no, I have to practice and actually I'm, I'm off somewhere else. I'm just, I'm going through a routine without any mindfulness whatsoever. And then I can also be re very rebellious at the idea of discipline. Mm -hmm. uh, so anything you want to say on those two issues, I'd be interested in. Um, yeah. Discipline, it's, it comes back to a, a book that I'm also reading, I'm a long distance runner, and the book is called Zendurance. And um, the chap who talks about discipline, he says, if you take um, an approach to discipline, which is not punishment, it's about focus and then I'm going to bring in some of Flint's teachings about discipline. He says something, sorry Flint, I'm going to paraphrase you. <laughs> um, he says something about the discipline is about just knowing what you want and just keep coming back to it and keep coming back to it and keep coming back to it. The challenge that I do have is when discipline for me becomes a regime. Mm. And that's when it's no longer a routine and it's not a discipline. It feels like um, a punishment and regime. Discipline keeps me focused and is helpful. But if I get too attached to it, that's when it becomes a regime. Mm. And that's what causes the problem for me. And that's what doesn't allow flexibility. So I get comfort from discipline. I get comfort from routine, but there's still a wonky element for me where um, if I'm doing it right, then I've actually lost the, the aliveness to it. So I have to stay alive to the discipline. Um, and, by, and that's when my mind comes in, when I'm feeling a bit sort of sleepy to, to the discipline. I know that I'm, I'm sitting too much in exactly the same way, mm. so I need to tweak it a little bit. And just by tweaking it, do I become alive again? So for me, it's about staying alive to discipline and alive to routine. Then I'm alive to the practice. Mm. It is about energy. Mm. 
we have Becky who would like to ask you a question. Okay. Um, I'm trying to get my screen to work so I can see you right. Um, thank you so much for this. It's been a wonderful sharing of things that um, feel familiar to me in many ways, but from other angles. And I really have appreciated both the process that you've described of your uh, evolving practice, um, as well as some of the specifics. One of the things I particularly have been needing to work with, I, I am living with cancer and have been aware of it for nine years. At, and at that point, it was already metastasized. And um, I, at, at that time, I had a practice of Qigong. And in Qigong was where I found meditation. Um, and as I've embra embraced and, and come to my sitting practice as well, um, I recognize that there's different qualities of, but there's, a, there's an important overlap. And I think you were talking about that in terms of our, our bodies and, and our, our, our minds. Um, and at this point, I'm often needing to be um, to be in motion, uh, which is one of the reasons I appreciate sitting with people online because I can I can just put my little you know other picture up and not disturb people if I'm needing to um, if I'm needing to make sound while I'm meditating, if I'm needing to be in a very different position or change positions. And uh, I call it um, bodyful. Uh, and, and, and I certainly have experienced that there are times when the true bodyfulness and the true mindfulness are communicating with each other without I'm, I'm only learning how now how to be aware of that conversation they carry on. Mm. Uh, and so I, I guess I was excited to hear you talk about it because it's been something I have mainly been exploring on my own. But I think that's maybe the best way for each of us to actually get it rather than somebody to try to teach us or, or something. I think it's to feel open to it and to explore there. Uh, but I just wanted to thank you so much for, for sharing so much of that and, um, and the ways that it overlaps in, in the, the, yeah, just it, it, thank you. I mean, I'll, I'll stop trying to talk and just say, <laughs> thank you so much, Nicole. You're very welcome and thank you for sharing some of your story. Um, I think that um, having a bodyful practice is really important. And what we've been finding out in psychology is that we need a certain rhythm for the body to heal. And, um, and I know that some illnesses cannot be healed, so I want to be respectful of that. But um, we found that, which is one of the reasons why I run as a kid, I was not in contact with my body. Um, I didn't like my body. I didn't like sports because I didn't like all the gung-ho competitive stuff and I was very frightened. So again, I came to my body in my own way. I absolutely love long distance running, but get this like, where did this come from? And that was just, again, by sitting mm. and listening to my body in my body saying, I want to move. And what we find, the brain likes that kind of rhythm. When, when doing trauma work, at the moment, we're doing a lot of left, right brain sort of to help people soothe. And actually walking a certain way, mm. left, right is soothing, running a certain way. So, the, so to be mindful of your body and to be fully connected, I think is an absolute gift. Um, and as Westerners, we tend to, to not be taught that. So mm. thank you for being so aware of your body. I think.
think it's just um, it's very heart centered. Mm -hmm. I think we have time for one more question. Someone wants to. You put your hand up. Yeah, I can. Yeah, actually, my question was about your running practice yeah. and just how you connect that to your sitting practice. And yeah. Did you, that, is that about the same time as you're sitting? You've been sitting a long time. I've been running. Um, I started my sitting practice is uh, much longer than my running practice. Um, my running practice, I really started running in about, it's about 19, 20 years ago. Um, again, what I was finding, it was, I was working in an office and I was, I like the people that I work with, but I felt very trapped. And the way for me to not feel trapped was to go running over the local park. And I thought, this is actually quite nice. My body is designed, I say, why does a dog bark? Because it's a dog. Why do I run? My body is designed for running. And it's through, through running do I, and long distance running now, I've been long distance running not very long since 2012. Um, and it's as I run, um, I don't listen to music or, or anything. It's really, I come into my body. If I'm running somewhere beautiful, I'll, I'll hear birds on the net, but then I keep coming in. And it is a form of running meditation. Mm -hmm. And when it gets really tough, it's, it's, we, we call it the pain cave in long distance running. You come within and you know that there's gonna be pain, but again, with the running practice, with, the, with having the breath, with having mantras, whatever it is, that is what gets me through to the other side of a long distance run. But throughout the run, I'm very mindful. And it actually helps my sitting practice. Mm. My sitting practice helps my running practice. So they dovetail very well. So, and then life is a practice. And I really right. use the word practice. It's like not a sitting perfection. It's not a running perfection. Mm. It's just a life practice. So they dovetail really very lovely. Yeah. And I've got um, a tattoo on my on my ankle that says, I am the storm. <laughs> so when it gets really difficult, I just look at my ankle and think, I'm going to get through this. <laughs> there you go. Tell us the name of the book you're reading now about running. It is called Zendurance. Zendurance. Yep. Okay. And it is about having a, a Zen approach to long distance running. Mm. Mm. And it's really lovely. It's really lovely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we've come to the end of our time for our talking. Mm -hmm. So thank you very much. Thank you. It's been thank wonderful. You.